Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Good news. I think the coffee is finally kicking in here. All right. We're off to a good start. We are. So for today's discussion, I wanted to, to kind of get a, get a better understanding from you on maybe maybe some advice or wisdom you would have uh, when it comes to kind of, I guess, picking, picking where you're going to live, thinking about housing. We're not necessarily in that life phase. We, we sort of went through that a couple of years back. Um, but even at the time, I didn't, I didn't have much, yeah, I didn't really have much advice to go off of. Um, but, you know, I think some of those, some of those things said today are um, be mindful of your mortgage, um, be, be mindful of schools. You know, and I know plenty of people that have, have picked their location for schools um, others who have said, and, and, um, kind of told me, don't, don't pick your location of where you live based on the people around you. Cause the people could always go somewhere. Um, and I, I didn't really like that advice the best, it seemed overly simplistic, but, um, that, that has been some advice I've received. Um, for us, it was important that we were a little bit closer to family. So when, when, we even picked our current home. It was looking at where's work, where's family, what are those, what are those trips look like? Um, but now, especially with with COVID and going into, you know, definitely in the tech industry, remote work is so common. There, this work anchor that many have has gone away and maybe gone indefinitely as as we really adopt this remote work model. So I do think it's it's relevant just just for us. We we're we're always thinking, dreaming, and you know I, I know HGTV is your favorite channel, mm-hmm. um, but you know many are in that realm of oh where where could I live? And I I wanted to, to I, I'm I'm really I'm hopeful, but I'm curious also if you have advice on you know how we ought to think about where we live. And, and not just a, well, I could live there, so why not? Or I could do this, so why not? But more of, well, where, where ought we um, to live when we, when we contemplate that? Mm-hmm. Ooh, good question. Um, I'm uh, pausing because uh, the history of, uh, for Kathy and I, are, um, we have a lot of funny stories about homes because first we, we didn't own a home until I was 33 and, we, I, took, I took a trip up here to Maryland because we were going to plant the church and I came up with 40 bucks in my pocket and was going to look for a place, place to rent and uh, flew <laughs> back to Dallas four days later and had a contract in a home. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty... Uh, so the story of my life has been whenever I planned the move, uh, it hasn't happened when <laughs> I had not planned the move. It has. It has. So, <laughs> you know, when I stepped away from being a pastor, we were exploring some options one included virginia and um 
hot market here and put our home on the market and got nary an offer. And later on, an agent said it was bizarre. The one person who really loved it, the husband walked into the garage and saw how neat it was. You know, Mike, how you straighten everything up, hung tools and everything. And he said, oh, I can't live here. This guy's too neat. <laughs> I don't know if she's like, like on crack cocaine or whatever, but... And that turned out to be fine not to do it. Kathy flew down once to uh, uh, another city and we were thinking about moving there. And she came back with pictures of her, quote, perfect kitchen. Now and, we're talking. Uh, oh, man. She was like, and I, while she was away, I'd come to the conviction that we shouldn't be moving. This isn't. So she comes back all excited. And I said, oh, well, that's great, babe. Hey, listen, we're not moving. Oh, boy. <laughs> and then, uh, lo and behold, one day we did get, uh, you know, the possibility to move downtown, and we did. We sold, and then the next thing we knew, we we're now living with our kids in this uh, home, and uh, right near, not too far outside of Annapolis. And so we never plan this stuff. Yeah. So maybe the the first trick is don't plan. There we go. <laughs> Just uh, my wife's gonna love that one. Yeah. <laughs> <the> Pray. <laughs> but I will say this: that if. Um, I understand that the I understand the um, the tensions of uh, budget, um, all these things, uh, and they, and they have to be taken into account. I do find that uh, we just sort of, as Calvin would say, dumb lucked into where we are today. A neighborhood that was actually built around 1990, around one of the ideas that came the Clapham sect, the Clapham, the patient saints of Clapham, they were called yeah, 1790 to 1833. And they too, by and large, many of them relocated to all live in Clapham next to one another. So maybe we'll start there, uh, Pat, because their motto was neighbors, then neighborhood. Mm. So I understand for a lot of people that say that's pretty Pollyannish. Um, you know, I don't know how you could pull that off. Sure. Um, however, it uh, it's worth thinking about and praying about in this regard. Clapham uh, is somewhere you may or may not be familiar. It's chiefly known by William Wilberforce, who came to faith in 1786. Um, Thomas Clarkson who won the uh, Cambridge essay on uh, when he was a student at Cambridge the, the year before um, on slavery. And he wrote this exemplary essay. And it was, but on his way back to London, had pangs of conscience. He was by a stream and said, had an a spiritual experience where he realized, I, I just wrote this thing as an academic exercise. But what if it's all true? He felt God calling him to bring this uh, atrocity to an end. And he began to rally people together to uh, seek to abolish the English slave trade. And by 1790, uh, it just so happened at that time, this 14th century fairy tale called uh, The Prince of Serendip was back in vogue. And uh, the story of Serendip, where we get our word serendipity, is that a great deal of good things in life happen 
when there's serendipity. And serendipity is one of those, oh, you know, I just, I was at the coffee shop the other day and Pat walked in. Mm. And we just had this marvelous conversation. Um, I used to, when we lived downtown, I would go for walks about every day. And I would pray, Lord, have someone, have me bump into someone. And I had some of the most marvelous conversations. Some people I hadn't seen in decades. Other times it was old friends and so on and so forth. Hmm. So serendipity is actually a pretty powerful thing, a phenomenon to uh, to think about, to weigh if you're thinking about, if you're weighing, moving, because uh, serendipity is why uh, Clapham reportedly, um, they said their homes, the, the front doors were always open. I mean, people are just flying in and out of the homes and they might, uh, you know, grab a couple of people and say, "Come over here. I've got, I've got an idea that we should be exploring." As you know, Clarkson was the one who rode, I think, over seven, eight thousand miles on horseback over the next several years. Uh, for he was doing research on actual number of slave ships, actual number of slaves who were thrown overboard when they passed away, and so on and so forth. And uh, but a lot of these just came because they were they would gather serendipitously. But that requires physical proximity. Yeah. So there you go. Well, and I can't help but think, you know, maybe it is another one of those fantasies, but the, if, if physical proximity is taken a little bit more seriously by, by some believers, it, again, I do think that is, a, that is a mark that stands out. It's, it's, a, it's an element of salt and light that's different than how most are thinking about the world today you know we've talked about meta and this idea of the metaverse and connection and social media but there's um there is there's something beautiful and i think very very unique about um physical proximity in general and physical time with others i think so we are it just so happens that our three kids, all you know, grown, married, adults, kids now, and grandkids, but they're the furthest one is only forty-five minutes away. And again, wow. that's funny because I, you know, I'm a boomer, so we grew up in the '70s and kind of felt like what Mark Twain wrote about his parents. Remember, he said when he left home, he said his parents were dumb. I won't use the vulgar word he used, but he's writing tongue-in-cheek, but he's saying my parents were the stupidest people I ever knew. Hmm. Then he said, when we came home, he was amazed how much they had grown up. <laughs> and, uh, well, we had the first half down. I think, you know, I was one of four boys and three of us at least. I think our big goal once we finish school or finish college up in Michigan is to, we're getting out of here. Mm. And we did. And uh, so we didn't have serendipity well, with my folks. And, and um, frankly, my kids didn't have serendipity with uh, their grandparents hmm. it was a nine hour drive so there's a lot of studies on serendipity on proximity in terms of friendships that they, they they can be built and sustained over long hmm. distance but hmm. it's it requires a level of reciprocity uh that is is rare we've talked about this before but you know Kathy, I don't advertise this, but I'm about to. 
it's by and large we find we initiate with about 95% of the people we initiate with never never reciprocate. Mm, wow. We found that especially as we were downtown and you know the place we had had over 8,000 guests over six years and uh, by and large uh, the studies show especially with social media you just used to turning your phone everything pours in but you don't have to reciprocate you don't even you don't even think about reciprocating. Mm. It's, it's really a diminished, it's a social skill that is retarded over the last uh, 20 plus years. Um, it can be as simple as saying, you know, so-and-so, we'd really like to hear something from today. You know, we're good friends. And you send out maybe a text, you leave a voice message and you go, it just disappears into the ether. Hello? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of that's because you know, we have way too many texts and what have you coming in. So I think that serendipity uh, is what this neighborhood actually was built around that idea and uh, mostly around a group of Christians. And they wanted it to be such that their kids could just walk outside the door and bump into a bunch of other kids and you, the uh, parents can just go between the homes and um, you can bring in young people to live in these homes. Uh, the home we're in here, by the way, I think it had over a dozen fax lines in, in the walls that were run in at one time. Fax, boy, that dates the home. Yeah. So I would hold that out. First of all, uh, we've made that sort of appeal in the past to people who are feel similarly about what it means to live in a post-christian world and the lack of resources to impact that world and have made the appeal sometimes to people to say we might consider moving here um because to see if you could actually do a pale imitation of the original clapham group and it's just that's just difficult given all of the variables and Right considerations, but at least you hold it out there. Yeah. Well, one, I'm curious, how did you find that out about your neighborhood now? That it was, you know, loosely based on Clapham. Is that? Is there? Yeah, a, I'm yeah. pretty familiar with the group, and uh, I'm pretty familiar with how, through uh, through some connections in England and and uh, people they brought over, they were introduced to uh, the work of William Wilberforce and Clapham, and so uh, I think it's fair to say gosh it now would be 30 40 years ago uh, this group and other ministries began to become were reintroduced rather to the legacy of the uh, original clapham group mm. plus mm. four decades of work and uh, so because of that uh, there's you know they had a number of uh, guiding ideas and assumptions uh, the Clapham group did but this one neighbors then neighborhood is uh, one that they latched onto they're a highly relational kind of ministry anyway and and then second they a lot of them had the means to do that and I understand that's important too sure sure wow that is cool it 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 feels like it's it would be so hard to find I mean even you know one of the things that 
uh, we've we've talked about just in terms of location is well, what what do you anchor around? You know, and mm-hmm. in, in that case, it sounds like you have a group kind of making making that intentional. This is we're going to anchor around one another. But even yeah yeah if, yeah if that's not what you have or or maybe maybe that's not realistic for the the group you're you're a part of or something you know finding that just sounds it sounds wonderful but it sounds very difficult to find yes it is and there's a, there's a couple of reasons why um we we can't underestimate the power of mobility and um and by the way americans in the last two decades have moved less than they did on average the previous 50, 60 years. So really, we, yeah, that's really, it's a fascinating, um, some of they think is uh, related to uh, finances, but you know, the silver generation, uh, my parents and the boomers are famous for uh, moving all around and did it quite frequently. Same with Gen X. I'm always haunted by my grandfather. His name, by the way, was Enoch. Um, but when he, when he and his wife, they moved to Bradenton, Florida, back in the 70s, and we went down to visit him, and I'm a young lad, and I'm t- talking to him about how wonderful the weather is. <laughs> and uh, he said he regretted ever moving. Hmm. And uh, Yeah, that, that'll haunt you. <laughs> it haunted me. You know why? He just thought, I moved mostly because of the weather. Mm. But I left all my community behind. Hmm. And he found at that time, I don't, I'm not current on Florida, but he found in Florida, it, it, it was, uh, he had a whole bunch of people there. They're primarily there for the weather. Uh, that's not the best way to build serendipity. Um, because you, you're not going, you're not moving there to say, yeah, I want to be a part of something that's happening in this community. I want to, mm-hmm. and as you know, what Florida is famous for, especially with uh, the silver, the boober generation is their reluctance to pay the level of millages or taxes to actually have uh, a healthy public school system. It's been uh, ranking along at the bottom because, again, boomer, silver, thinking, I don't have kids here. Hmm. I'm here for I'm here for the leisure. And so what you what's often talked about in Florida is the missing middle class. Uh, and you have the uh, cost of living index retirees who are doing pretty well, live along the coast. And then you have the service industry, hospitality. And, uh, but you really don't have a, you have the missing middle class because of that you don't have particularly good public schools and those who can uh, shoot their kids off to private schools. So all that doesn't really promote serendipity in the communities and also a couple of friends i have who moved to florida said it's really hard to find people down here who read and uh now that may be nationwide but it does happen to be in the uh, the northeast corridor in the mid-atlantic you have a higher rate of education uh, educated people with advanced degrees and you have a study show there's a bit more readership in certain areas of the country and that you know that's a small part but that does play into again this sense of serendipity. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think it's beautiful. You mentioned this, this this community in particular that that bought into this idea of mm-hmm. neighbor the neighborhood. 
Yeah. Um, that has to originate somewhere. Do you know of any good resources that, that I, I don't know, are, kind of spark that idea? I'm, I'm just thinking uh, even, even as a, a reinvigoration of this, you know, going into that, even, even if it doesn't translate to actually moving anywhere, finding that community, but maybe planting that seed of an idea um, in others or exploring it further in oneself. Um, any good resources on that? Sure. I, I would uh, urge people to pick up any, uh, any number of good books on uh, the Clapham sect and also on uh, William Wilberforce. Uh, and you can Google and find those. Kevin Belmonte's written a good book on him. Um, there's a whole number of them. I, I don't really think you can go too far astray in any of the books I've ever read uh, regarding mm. uh, the, the Clapham sect. So it really is something specific to to Clapham. There's not a there's not a uh, a resource specifically on this this notion of neighbor the neighborhood. Yeah, not that I've ever read. I will say I also read a couple maybe two years ago. There are um, you, I would just Google. There's a, there are groups of young Catholics who are. Um, doing something similar and uh, they're choosing to live in close proximity to one another. And, um, it's some kind of a Catholic renewal group. So again, you could just, you could Google that. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have, it doesn't come to mind right at the mm -hmm. moment, but it does. Now, by the way, you do have the advantage here of traditionally Roman Catholicism the studies show has built stronger community ties because of their, uh, the idea of the parish. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think it's more, I, I suspect it's more common in the, in the other end of the spectrum, the evangelical all the way out to the non-denominational to, to just, you know, you find what works or your church shop. Whereas yeah, the Catholic parish is a little bit, a little more uh, on the, that's that's where you go. That's what you do. Yeah, and you know we lived. Uh, Kathy and I lived in Louisiana for Louisiana for uh, X amount of years, uh, seven or eight. And um, you see the uh, rich Catholic heritage there, French Catholic, because uh, uh, all you don't have counties, uh, you have parishes, and uh, huh. so. You see Plekamin Parish and all of these. So you have a mixture of kind of a Cajun and um, French Catholic. But uh, yeah, so, so that's, but that was back when the, um, these kind of church traditions um, tend to have gravitas. And, gravi and gravity, as you know, is what pulls. Um, we, don't, we only stay pinned to the planet because of its gravity. And we only stay in orbit because of the gravity of the sun. And so to stay in the orbit of other people, that was, that model is built around the parish. So you have some Catholics who are um, reviving that. You also have people, the work of Richard Florida. And uh, are you familiar with uh, Richard Florida? No. I believe he's at the University of Toronto, but he's the one who's done a lot of research on uh, what's called the creative class. And uh, it overlays with Charles Murray's work on super zips mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the super zip codes, uh, the, uh, the small percentage of the total zip codes in the U.S. where you tend to have more innovators, you tend to have more leadership, you tend to have more entrepreneurial 
And uh, Richard Florida has called this the creative class. And they sometimes have relocated to places so that they will have uh, a serendipity. And so there's a little research on that from Richard Florida. Now that too is certainly under stress, if not dissolving a bit with uh, COVID and, and more importantly with social media and um, mm. the ability to live anywhere and not be rooted anywhere. So you see uh, a in Richard Florida's research, uh, you know, it'd be New York, Boston, um, and because Boston, you have this rich, you have this high density of, of prestigious academic institutions in New York City, uh, advertising and art and and uh, finance and uh, Washington D.C. But now what you're seeing is um, less of that and also a shift some of it, uh, because of the cost of living to uh, for example austin right and so we don't have to go into a lot of details on austin but i have a good friend of mine moved there three years ago from baltimore and said man you just beat the gold rush yeah oh my goodness yeah 46 percent hike uh in the last few years in the average home uh, home price uh, just unbelievable nashville in the same yeah. way um uh, Zillow is saying the next hot market in 2022 will be uh, Tampa, Florida. Hmm. And um, so it's it's blowing up a bit of the model that you have to be in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Again, these are macro, but on a micro, if you're going to move there, I just, I can't, I can't get away from if you're moving primarily or for your top two to be weather, there's just something in that that my grandfather said. Nah. Right. Um, I was after my wife for many years early in our marriage to move to San Diego because the weather is just hmm. boringly beautiful every day. Worst job in the world, meteorologist in San Diego. <laughs> but, uh, you know... I was out there a couple of times and I thought, yeah, Mike, if you're doing this primarily for this, then you're going to be around a lot of people. They're, they're primarily there for the weather. I thought you wanted to change the world. Not there are people in San Diego that want to do that, but you get my point. Right. So I would just, um, you know, to bring it from the macro to the micro, is if anyone's thinking about moving, I do think you have to weigh carefully um serendipity will back it up one step requires that you're moving somewhere where you have people who are simpatico you know what that means yeah like like like-minded um very similar in in uh in in thought and preference etc yeah chemistry yeah it's um it's one of those things with you and your wife um for kathy and i and to, it's just one of the things you sort of kind of intuit. And, um, you know, with uh, our daughter and her husband and their kids, we're all simpatico. There's, there's a chemistry there. And we have that with our other kids too. And that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily determine it's great to live with one another. I mean, they're, everybody likes, somebody likes their space. And I think some people would say, you know, live with my, my parents. Ooh. Um, <laughs> So you have that kind of, but that's called simpatico. 
uh, that would be important too, because simpatico in the end is, is going to actually continue to uh, prod that and, and move that along. I have a, I have a friend uh, up in Michigan, and he and his wife are now moving to be close to two other families who he has found over the last couple of years. They're simpatico. They, they actually go to the same church, but they have the same dreams, the same desires to make an impact in the world. They've had similar experiences. But they realize that um, if you have to uh, drive a certain amount of distance, you won't have serendipity. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that distance is, but I do know that um, long ago, <clears throat> one of the reasons that the J.C. Penney Company, the company that I think is going to disappear in the not too long, distant, not too distant future, but the headquarters were in New York City. And part of the reason they relocated, this would be like 20 plus years ago, to Dallas, Texas. It was not only, it was, yes, it was more affordable, but more importantly, they found that if their top talent has to commute longer than a certain amount of time to get into Manhattan, and also the fact that uh, that will reduce any kind of serendipity, any kind of social capital you build with people. Those people won't make, they won't last in the long run. They'll leave the company. Hmm. And um, so they found at that time anyway, I know Dallas has also boomed, but by going to North Dallas, and there's a lot of open land, we could build our headquarters there. And there's a more likelihood that our, that our, the top talent we're trying to attract will actually build some social capital with one another, become friends. Hmm. So you have to take that into account also that um, that uh, you know we have friends who um, I don't know if they uh, if they retire and they go to uh, two adjoining states where the taxes are much cheaper. You know the upside is they they're saving money. The downside is. I'm pretty certain at that point, well, I'll hardly ever see him again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a challenge. I've seen that. People move away and think, oh, I, it'll it'll be the same. Yeah. And a year later, it's it's definitely not the same. I'll throw out two other things also, Pat, that um, I'm always thinking about. I'm always reminded, you know, Paul said, I've been wealthy and I've been poor, but I've learned... I've learned to be content whatever circumstances I'm in. And uh, Paul also wrote, uh, Godliness is a means of great gain if it's accompanied by contentment. Mm. Which, uh, and first of all, it's fascinating. So godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. I mean, it's not a means of great gain otherwise. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it assumes you can attain godliness without contentment. <laughs> yeah. Just like, you know, we're all fascinated to meet Paul when we get up there, but long line, you know, take a number. <laughs> uh, I, so we do pick on HGTV, but it's not just HGTV. It's, it's now the Magnolia channel. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, we've taken how Jesus 
I think, to some degree anyway. So I'm going to be careful here. But Jesus said some things that I don't know if we actually believe he knew what he was talking about. And one was he said, you know, no one has given up home or family or these things for me who won't get them back 100 times as much in my kingdom. You're not giving up anything. And I have seen that the, one of the obstacles to neighbors and neighborhood is this sense of, oh, but the kitchen's so old, or, you know, or we downsize, or we may have to rent instead of, oh, and by the way, 100 years ago, we were a nation of renters. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. That's pretty fascinating. And what boosted the market was uh, mortgage interest deduction and other various things that the federal government did based on some now known to be fallacious studies that home ownership makes people more responsible as citizens. We know that to be now not necessarily the case. But set all this aside, we were a nation of renters. And um, so for some people it means perhaps... Um, they're saying, in other words, I, I could not be content with less. Right. You know, we're not, Kathy and I aren't super saints. We didn't plan this, first of all. So this isn't bragging. This is just simply, you know, in one aspect, we're living in a smaller home we've lived in other than when we first married 40 years ago. Mm. Um, but I don't sense from Kathy, and, and I, I don't sense in me, this grinding of this t of the teeth. I'm like, oh, okay, Lord, we're gonna do this for you. Hmm. <clears throat> it's more that um, neighbors, so here neighborhood, and um, and simpatico and serendipity, and uh, again also. Um, you know, the lectionary readings last week, uh, it was that familiar passage to most of us. But again, it's where God says uh, to the nation of Israel, well, you're all living in your nice, sumptuous homes. Good for you. <laughs> My temple looks like crap. And uh, I know I'm paraphrasing, but bear with me. <laughs> I find that uh, you know, one, one of the more impactful people in my life was Dallas Willard. And Willard began to write about the disciplines and thicker liturgies and what have you and seeing the appalling state of American Christianity when you look at the disjunction between beliefs and behaviors. Our lack of generosity, our lack of frugality, our lack of sacrifice, our, uh, our need to be entertained, um, I mean, I've even heard of churches who put up signs when you walk in to find your zip code so that you can possibly sit near people you live near. Mm -hmm. And there's no bells going off in anyone's mind to go, is this crazy or what? Mm -hmm. um, it, it, and yet the thrust is really on, um, you got to get the most home we can rather than we've got to get the most church that a person can possibly hope for 
that forms our loves, that forms our bodies, that puts us in thick ancient traditions and liturgies and practices that actually causes us to love the things God loves in the order in which he loves them. And that might mean you give up your fabulous home because you realize that you're isolated. But you got the home you wanted. But you never gave much thought to, uh, you know, there are a lot of people walking in and out of the door here. People we want to be with, people we love, people that we... And uh, now I know you can build that. You can go somewhere and you can actually carve that out. And that's that would be a very healthy thing to do. But um, I, I'm just back to... Uh, you know, Jesus is the smartest person who ever walked the earth. And he's the one who said, uh, Mike, nobody gives up these things who won't get them back a hundred times in eternity. If you're content. And we well know that what drives not only social media, but all advertising is to foster initially discontent. And when we moved here in 1987, we never owned a home. Like I said, it's too long a story here, but I came with 40 bucks in my pocket to find some place to rent, move home with a contract. And uh, we moved in Memorial Day in 1987. And, and I remember walking and I was going, holy mackerel, look at this place. And wow, look at this kitchen we've got. You know, it wasn't too many months before we were going to other people's homes and larger kitchens and newer. And and uh, I'll, I'll never forget walking, you know, driving home and walking in our house. And the whole house had changed. I went, geez, well, we got a data kitchen. Wow. <laughs> well, funny, you know, the actual cabinets hadn't changed. <laughs> but I had changed because, oh, my gosh, they had white shaker. Our cabinets were built in the seventies. <laughs> I can't cook here. <laughs> uh, we've beaten we've beaten that horse too much, but it it is. We are a couple of generations fought, built on planned obsolescence. We that's. You know, the auto industry, all these industries are built on. Um, you you don't have the latest iPhone? How can you call someone? Well, it's easy right here. I just, you know, just go bing, bing and call them. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but you don't have the newest camera. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You got to have it. Got it? Mm -mm, right. Got it? 5G, you gotta have 5G. Gee. Really? Why? Faster downloads. We can now have four devices down, downloading movies. No. So in your home, you have four people sitting in four different places on four <laughs> different devices. Yeah, that's that's a good trade-off. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, as the old Baptist said, Mike, you just went from uh, preaching to meddling. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, so those are just some thoughts that come. I, I do think, I'll throw this out maybe in closing. If anyone's thinking about this, I would urge you to be aspirational before you get practical. Because the aspirational is practical. The aspirational is when you said many years ago to your then friend, would you marry me? I want to be with you for the rest of my life. You wanted serendipity. You wanted other things that all come with marriage. And I would call that to be the most practical. Now, I would say that anyone who's thinking about relocating, which I do think, given that people do have this no longer necessarily tied to an office or a building, they can work from anywhere, that Think about the order of your loves and where you would want to relocate and ask the Lord to, you love the things he loves in the order in which he loves them and ask him to show you if maybe you love something too much. It's out of order. That's been the story of my life, I think, often when I wanted to move was uh, all these loves are are inherently good, but not if they're disordered. If you love it too much, it's idolatry. If you love it too little, it's ignorance. God blesses neither. And I would just, you know, you and your spouse would say, let's submit to the Lord. Why do we want to do this? What would be the order? What are we saying that we love? And see what happens.